0: So we're going to continue in this series we've been in, in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be doing this all the way until Easter, and then after that, I'm really excited what we're going to do. The plan is to actually spend the rest of the year in one book of the Bible, and that's the book of Acts, okay? So we're going to be looking at all of Jesus' life and the Apostles' life um, with Jesus, and then we're going to get into the book of Acts, and we're going to cover the entire book over the rest of the year, which I'm really excited about. If you don't like Acts, I'm so sorry, Uh, we'll try to make it really good for you. Um, but I'm excited about where we're going, but we're, we're still in Mark, and, and I've been really encouraged and challenged revisiting some of this material in Mark that we looked at quite a few years ago. I'm just going to be honest with you all, like, I had a really hard time preparing a sermon this week. It happens sometimes. Um, and sometimes, like, the words and the things that I want to share, I just can't find them. And if... You were around me at all this week. Or maybe have told you that. that you know, like, How you doing? I'm doing okay. Trying to figure out what to preach this week. Um, I chose the text a few weeks ago, not realizing that I would have such a hard time coming up with words to say. Our text today is actually a very popular story in the Gospels. It's in all four, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have a version of this story, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You all know this story? It's a very popular story. Uh, Our friend uh, Caleb was a guest preacher here back in August, and he preached on this story. It's something that's been talked about many, many times. I remember uh, growing up at Paintlick United Methodist Church in elementary school in Garrett County in rural Kentucky. And I remember learning this story in Sunday school at that church. And it was one we talked about probably every single year, uh, just because it's a really Cool story. I remember thinking, man, like this is such a cool story. Like Jesus is like a magician, you know? He can just take five loaves of bread and two fish and he can just magically turn it into enough food to feed so many people. And and I thought it was so awesome. Like, man, Jesus is, he's cool. He's powerful. He can do some really awesome things. And so I want to share with you why it's been hard for me this week, but um, I'm going to read the story first. And then I'll share a few thoughts with you. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Words will be on the screen. You're welcome to open your Bibles if you want, or on your phone, whatever you want to do. I'm reading from the NIV. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Keep in mind, they had just been sent out in groups of two, to go out into the villages and towns and continue to do the work of the gospel. They came back to report to Jesus all they had experienced. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. See that withdrawal? They were engaged. Now they need to pull away. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go by the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. He said to them, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread to give them something to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. They didn't find a lot. (laughs) Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute them to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Now they all ate and they all were satisfied. (coughs) And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was (coughs) 5,000. So I'm just going to be straight with you all. I've always wanted to see a miracle like this one. I remember thinking as a young Christian, if I could just see something like this happen, then I would have no doubts about the existence of God. Like, I could believe, I would have faith, I mean, I would give everything if I could just see a miracle like this. Something so big and so powerful. But Here's the deal, I've never seen a miracle like this. I don't know if you all have. If you have, that's amazing. I'd love to hear the story. But I've never seen thousands upon thousands of hungry people get fed by such a tiny, Amount of food. I've never seen God provide. In such a big. And powerful. And over the top way like that. Many of you. Maybe are like me. I've been following this siege. This war on Gaza. Over the past few months. And currently. as, I've, as Right now. As things stand. It's in a really really bad place. There are well over 1 million people. Think about that number who are living in just the most southern part of Gaza, in a town called Rafa. Every day, every single person has to wake up, and their first goal is, I have to find food and water. And they just go out searching for food, because they're starving, and they cannot find food. There's, they're not even allowing much humanitarian aid in right now. Relatively, people are calling, can you please send planes and drop food on Gaza, because they're so hungry. They're starving, and there's so little food, to feed the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are there right now. I was listening to a song um, on this album this guy named John Guerra wrote called Nazareth a few weeks ago. And one of the lyrics in this song hit me, I'd say like a ton of bricks, it just hit me hard. He said, why don't the bombs obey you like the storms of Galilee do? Now, for me, um, when I heard this, I realized this is one of the places where my faith has been struggling lately. (laughs) Because I've witnessed tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy in this world. And right here in our own neighborhood, in my own life, I've had tragedy. And I've wondered where God's saving power is in all the suffering. Has anybody felt the same way? This lyric is a lament. You know, basically what he's saying here, the way I read it is we read about all these life-saving miracles in the Bible, yet we really need some help right now. Where are the miracles? We read in the Gospels about Jesus calming the storms, literally telling the wind and the waves to be calm and to be still, yet the bombs still fall. And I'd love for Jesus to point at the bomb and say, no, you're going to turn around and go the other way. And so it's something that's just been hard for me to wrestle with. Today we read about Jesus feeding lots of really hungry people. And the question I can't get out of my head is why aren't the Palestinians in Gaza being fed like the hungry crowds in Galilee? Now I think that's why I've been struggling this week with this story. And that's why I've been struggling a lot with these miracles and healing stories and all these things because I want to see more of that now because so many people are struggling. Now, I'm telling you, these are deep, hard questions for which I have no answers, so I'm not going to answer that question today. But I'm trying to be more okay with the unanswered questions. Sometimes I think we're afraid to ask these kinds of questions. We're afraid to even speak it because we're afraid if we say it, then our faith might be racked or, or our faith could be shattered. But I think we're all having these kinds of doubts and questions within us, right? Am I wrong? Does anybody else think these kinds of things? I don't want to avoid the tension that I feel inside as I read scripture and I try to reconcile it with what we're experiencing today in our world. This is what doing theology is, really. It's wrestling in that tension. It's saying, hey, we read this ancient text. How do we wrestle with these stories now? Even looking at the most immense suffering and pain that we experience in our world. And I'm just not going to give trite or easy answers anymore to complex problems dealing with human suffering and pain. We have a problem sometimes as Christians. We want to give really simple and easy answers to incredibly complex problems. Just have faith. It's it's easier said than done sometimes, right? So I think we have to. And one thing we try to do at Embrace is we try to stay in that tension and be okay talking about it because I think we're all having these kinds of questions. And so, as we continue to wrestle with Scripture this year, and as we read Mark, and then as we get into Acts, we're going to encounter lots of miracles, actually. And I want to name that tension that I'm feeling, and I imagine that some of you might be feeling also in your own body and spirit and mind as we wrestle through this stuff. You know, the past few weeks, we've tried to pay special attention to what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's actually in in one of the letters that Paul talks about this, that Jesus is the image, what God looks like in flesh and bone, that the fullness of God actually dwelled in Jesus. And so this means that Jesus reveals to us what God is like, what God desires. He shows us God's very own heart. And as we read stories about miraculous events, about mass feedings, about healings, about resurrections, one question that I think we should ask is, what does this story tell us about God? What is Jesus trying to show us through this particular miracle? You know, miracles are often called signs in the Gospels. And I think a sign is in some ways maybe a better way to talk about this. Because a sign, in my mind, is pointing to something beyond itself. If you see a sign on the road, it may say there's a city there. The city's not in the sign. It's pointing to where you need to go. It's pointing to something beyond itself. And so the sign or the miracle, I believe, is trying to teach us and show us something about who God really is, the essence of this God that we worship. Maybe one reason Jesus performed these miracles was to get people's attention, because it certainly did. It gets our attention even today to reveal something deeper and profound about God so that we can grow in our understanding of who God is and what the kingdom of God is all about. You know, I think sometimes we have a a knack to get all wrapped up in the power or the spectacle of a miracle. Like, wow, Jesus did that. That's awesome. He's the best. Go, Jesus. While we miss the underlying message, of what the miracle is trying to teach us. And for our text today, the, what happens in this miracle? For me as a kid, I was just like, Jesus fed a bunch of people. That's awesome. But I lost track of the fact that hungry people were fed in this story. That the hunger pangs these people were experiencing were literally satisfied and everyone went home full with enough that day. You know, one way to think about Jesus' actions in the gospel and we talked about this last week, is that he's performing the kingdom of God. Through his actions, he's showing us what the kingdom of God is all about. He's putting on this this presentation through the way he lived, in his own body, of what the kingdom of God is all about. What life under the rule and reign of God is supposed to look like. And if that's the case, then maybe the miracles are meant to show us something about God's kingdom. You know, last week we read a story about Jesus healing a woman who had had this flow of blood for 12 long, painful years. And and since she was experiencing this, she was actually had to be quarantined and could not go around people because she was considered to be unclean. And her healing from Jesus meant she didn't have to quarantine any longer and she could be restored back to community. Now, that was a gift to her, right? But this also points to something deeper about God and about the kingdom of God. What does it show about the kingdom of God? Well, maybe in God's kingdom, people shouldn't be excluded or treated as inferior or unclean, but instead should be accepted and welcomed and treated with dignity and people who are worthy of love and belonging. And like all other healings, I think the healing miracles should challenge us and show us that in the kingdom of God, sick people should be well cared for They should receive really good health care and be nurtured back to full health, if at all possible. In our story for today, the miracle involves feeding really hungry people. Jesus was in a remote place with 5,000 hungry families. Now, that number could be more symbolic than precise. We don't know if it's exactly that amount of people, but It's clear the text is showing us that there's a lot of people who were out there in the wilderness that day following after Jesus. I imagine there were children, there were elderly folks, there were able-bodied people, there were disabled people, there were men, there were women. In a group that size, you're going to have a diversity of all types of people all across the spectrum of life. And through this feeding miracle, Jesus made sure that every last one of them had enough to eat. And that all of them were fed. The text tells us that all ate and all were satisfied. No one had too much and no one had too little. And they actually had leftovers. Such a beautiful picture. This should remind us of another miracle that's recorded in the book of Exodus. When the Israelites left Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. When they got to the wilderness, they quickly ran out of food. When we talk about wilderness, we're not talking about forests with lots of trees and shade. We're talking about desert is what they were walking through. Not a lot of food, not a lot of life growing there. They needed to survive. They were starving and needed to eat. And what God did is God provided manna and quail every single day so that they could survive. And he had rules set up where no one could collect more than they needed for one day. I imagine some of the folks were younger and had more energy, and they could go out and collect some for the community and share it with the people who maybe couldn't get out and collect it. But regardless, everybody got to eat every single day. No one got to keep any extra. No one had too much. No one had too little. They all ate, and all were satisfied. What does this miracle tell us about the kingdom of God? What does this sign from Jesus tell us about God's heart. Well, maybe the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God, food is meant to be shared in community, and everyone should be able to eat. One of Paul's main concerns, actually, in the early church, and you read about it in his letters, if you pay attention, you'll see that food is brought up a lot in Paul's letters. And one of Paul's major concerns was the distribution of food in the early church community. And he always challenged them. In the letter to the Corinthians, he talks about this. He challenges them to make sure that everybody has enough. Because there was a problem where some folks were coming to the meals and didn't have food, and they weren't actually getting to eat. And Paul's like, no, never. Never do that in your church community. Everybody should get something to eat. Everybody gets a seat at the table. Everybody ought to be satisfied and cared for. And the early church sought to live this out, and they got it. Right sometimes, and clearly they got it wrong sometimes. Or Paul wouldn't have had to talk about it quite so much. There was a problem we talked about in Romans where they were showing up and and the church had become run by the Gentiles and they had all this pork on the table and the Jews wouldn't eat. And so they would go away hungry. And these were poor Jews who didn't have enough to eat. And so Paul's like, no, stop serving pork so that everybody can get enough food. Because nobody should go away hungry from your gatherings. Another unique aspect of this miracle, so we have this idea that everybody gets to eat, but something in this miracle that's really profound and unique really to this story, it happens in other places, but this is a unique part of this parable, or this uh, miracle, I mean, is that the disciples are actually included in making this miracle happen, that it wasn't Jesus just doing it, the disciples were invited to do it. They were in a remote location, Food was not easily accessible. The disciples looked out, and they saw this really large group of hungry people. Maybe they got nervous, thinking a hungry crowd of people could get upset. This could be bad for us. Maybe they just were compassionate for them. Who knows? Maybe they just wanted to send them away because they didn't want to deal with them. But they grew anxious, wondering how everybody was going to get food. And so they suggested that Jesus just dismiss everybody and let them go find their own food in the surrounding villages and towns. But then Jesus looked at his disciples because he had other plans, and he says, hey, no, actually, I want you to feed all the people. And they're probably like, huh? Like, what are you you talking about, Jesus? You want us to feed them? Like, there are a lot of people here, and we do not have the money to buy all of them food. And even if we did, that might be a waste of our money, right? They're, They're not wanting to do this. And Jesus says, What what food do you have? And they're probably thinking, Jesus, nobody got food out here. What are you talking about? We don't have any food. There are a lot of people here. And so they went out, and he says, go look and see. And they come back, and they have a tiny amount of food. They have you know, five loaves of bread and two fish. That's enough to feed maybe a little family. And that's all they had for 5,000 families. And so then Jesus said, well, give it to me. He breaks the bread and ends up telling them, divide everybody in groups. And here's how I want you to distribute it. And they end up having enough food so that everyone had enough. And there were even leftovers. You know, this this part of the story is, is really exciting and cool, but also terrifying to me. It's pretty cool that Jesus wanted to include his disciples in this miracle of making sure everyone was fed. But it's also kind of scary because he was asking the disciples to do something that probably terrified them. And they thought, there's no way we have the capability of doing this and ensuring everybody has enough. You know, theoretically, Jesus could have just fed everyone himself. I mean, he was Jesus after all. He could have just uh, made food appear in front of every little family there. And they all would have had their food to eat. And he would have been praised, you know, as the provider. And they would have all been satisfied. However, Jesus chose to partner with his disciples to ensure that all the people were fed. We don't know exactly how this feeding happened. We don't know where the food came from. We don't know how it was distributed exactly. But we do know that Jesus invited his disciples to participate in this important work of feeding hungry people. And they also got to witness to the joy of getting good and full sharing a tasty meal with their, their people. I mean, it's such a beautiful story. Jesus chose to partner with his disciples. We, have been, we talk about how we are commissioned by God. I love this idea. Christina's drawn this out that we are in a co-mission. You know, if you think about the word commission, we are in a co-mission with God in this world. We have been invited to partner with God and his work in the world. And we see this all throughout Mark. Jesus repeatedly invites His disciples to take part in His work of love and healing and redemption. Over and over and over again. Even as the disciples mess up, next week Christina's going to talk about how they fail to understand over and over and over again. He still invites them. Hey, come and work with me. I want you to help me out in what we're doing here in the world. I don't know if y'all remember when Jesus was with Peter after the resurrection in the Gospel of John. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. And you remember what he says after that? He says, feed my sheep. Now, we, we tend to over-spiritualize everything in Scripture, you know, um, which is great. There's a spiritual component to that. Feeding people, nourishing people is not just with actual food. But I wonder if Jesus might have been also telling Peter, hey, make sure everybody's got enough to eat. Because nobody should have to be hungry. In a place like Lexington, Kentucky, in the position that I have, I have never have to think about being hungry. But there are people who do. And there are people all across the world and certainly in Jesus' time that had to think every single day, how are we going to eat? They lived in a desert, basically. And so there are only few places where they could grow a lot. If it didn't rain, they didn't have food to eat. So Jesus, I think, is telling Peter, y'all need to make sure everybody eats. That everybody is fed. That everybody is cared for. And then He invited His disciples to join Him in His work And continue that work on after he ascended up into heaven. And we see it all throughout the Gospel of Acts as well. Jesus performed the kingdom of God through the way he lived. And as Jesus' followers, I believe we are now invited to continue that work. That we continue to perform the kingdom of God by the way we live and work together right now in our world. We do the work of the kingdom now. In the kingdom of God, everybody eats. And everybody has enough. So now we do our best through the spirit working through us and leading us to ensure that everybody eats and everybody has enough. You know, we talk a lot here at Embrace that we're about how we kind of are living in between the times that Jesus came and ushered in the kingdom of God and initiated this this process of redemption, but it hasn't come in its fullness. We're in the already but also the not yet, and we long for that day for Jesus to return, and we pray for that day when he'll return and set things right, and the big question is always, really, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we wait? What do we do right now as we're waiting for Christ to return? Some people argue, well, we don't have to do much. We just pray, and we worship, and we sing, and we gather, and we wait for Jesus to get it all right one day, Now, I don't know if the Gospels, the Bible teaches that. The Bible seems to teach that, no, we actually do the work of Jesus now while we wait for Jesus to return. N.T. Wright, I love, I I encountered this a a while back. Some of us went to hear him at a chapel service at Asbury uh, a few years ago during the pandemic. But he came and he, he preached on this message of new creation. And new creation is basically what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the new creation. And he says, now the church is the pilot project of the new creation. And so we're basically trying to live out the new creation now as we live in this world where the old way still is here among us. And we're waiting for the new creation to come. But now we are like living it out now. We are trying to witness to the kingdom of God now in the way we live and work together. And so we can imagine, what does life under God's reign look like? Okay, well let's as a church try to work towards that and the way we love and care for one another, the way we witness to this community, the way we reach out to others, the way we feed people even. Right now, we do it. You know, I I cannot begin to even attempt to explain the immense suffering and starvation across our world. and And if I tried to, I would fail miserably, because there's no good explanation for all this. There's all the philosophical theories and stuff we can talk about with the fall, and all this different stuff, and and all that matters. But the reality is people are suffering, and God is a good God, and we try to reconcile that. And it's hard. It's hard. But I'm going to stay in that tension because I still believe in a good God. And I'm still going to continue to reach out to a good God. And even in my doubt and confusion, I continue today even to pray for miracles, that God will act in mighty ways to feed the hungry and release the captive and bring peace to places of violence and oppression. And I'll continue to pray for it. And I hope you all do as well. Though I don't believe I can just sit on my hands and pray for miracles. Like, I wonder if God might be calling us, the church, to also, in a sense, be the miracle, right? To be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world today, bringing healing and peace and satisfaction and full bellies to people in our community. I believe that God has called me, and I do believe God has called you, and really all of humanity To be fully human. To be people who work with God. To see our world restored and redeemed. To ensure that everybody eats. And that everybody is satisfied. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.